Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of flesh and the desires of the eyes in pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Children, it is the last hour. And you have heard that Antichrist is coming. Now, So now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they have been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have anointed by, but you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all, and you all have knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you received from him abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Well, good morning. Uh, What I'd like us to do today is um, to focus on the warnings, but also the encouragement that come from this passage that we've had read to us so well from from 1 John uh, chapter 2. There are three words, hopefully we've got them up on the screen, uh, round about which uh, I'm going to try and and do that. Uh, We're going to think about both loving and leaving uh, as, as part of the warnings and the idea of, of anointing as the encouragement. Now, you'll see that these come out of the passage uh, that we've read, the idea of, of loving from verse 15, do not love the world. Uh, the idea of leaving from verse 19, uh, they went out from us, they left us, 
And the word anointing is mentioned three times in this passage. Uh, verse 20, for instance, uh, where it says that, uh, they were, uh, but you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. So that, that's, that's the kind of plan as far as this morning, these warnings and, and encouragement uh, for, for all of us, hopefully, uh, today. So let's look at the first one, where it says, do not love the world. Now, this, this is potentially confusing, I think. I mean, about a month ago, the alarm went at 5.30. Uh, we were in Ballater at the time. Uh, when we struggled up, initially, it was pretty much like it is today, very grey and murky. And the three of us uh, started walking up Craig and Darragh Hill. And uh, after a little while, we actually broke through the clouds. And we were at the top just in time to see uh, the sunrise. And uh, there was Loch Nagar on the other side. And uh, it was covered in snow. And we've got all the pictures to prove it. It was a beautiful morning. And I almost felt like uh, old Louis Armstrong with his uh, gravelly voice. You know, when he started to sing, uh, and I think to myself, you know, what a wonderful world. You know, and, and it was true. What a beautiful scene that was. And uh, we read a passage like this, which says, we've not to love the world. Well, I mean, plainly, there's something else going on here. I mean, we, there, there, there's plenty of reasons to, to love the world. You will all have your own stories of favorite places and sights and scenes and all the rest of it. And of course, we know that as far as God himself is concerned, that famous, famous verse, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And, and God tells us to, to have the same kind of love as he has for his world and the people who are in the world. So, so plainly, this, this means something else. And fortunately, we've got some clarification uh, from this passage into what is really being got at when he says, look, be careful. Got a warning for you. Be cautious. Don't love the world or the things that are in the world. What's really been got at here is an idea of, of attitude. The, the world that we live in has its own thoughts, particular aspirations, the way it looks at things, ideologies, and, and, and that's the kind of thing. It's, it's a kind of system, if you like, that prevails, a system of, of thinking that prevails. That's what he's driving at. And that's why he qualifies it by saying, you know, the love of the Father is not in you. Um, whatever is of the world, it's not from the Father. It's, it's from the world. They're, they're, they are intention. And he's going on to talk in the next paragraph, this kind of strange phrase, about those who have the spirit of the Antichrist. That's the same thing. That, that is not having the love of the Father. Now, there are, there are three ways in which he particularly talks about this. 
so let, let's look at, uh, look at this. Three things that he says that characterize having the attitude of the world and loving that. Really loving that. So, so what he says, uh, first of all, in verse 16, he describes it as the desires of the flesh. Now, when the world uses, uh, the, the, when the Bible uses the word flesh, it's not talking about, you know, what's, what's underneath my skin. You know, it's, it's not talking about flesh and blood. Uh, it's a technical word. And it's, it's really talking about our nature. And in particular, um, sinful, fallen human nature. It's, that, it's, a, it's got a negative con- connotation. And so when it talks about the flesh, it's talking about the fact that my heart, you know, my soul is, is fallen. It is it's corrupt. It is, it's got a flaw, uh, a fatal flaw that runs right through it. And the tendency and the bias will always be for self rather than being for God. And so, so this is the characteristic thing, one of the characteristic things as far as this world system, if you like, that he's talking about is concerned. And it's not, the way he's using it is, it's not just from the point of view as me as an individual, as a single person. But he's saying there's a population thing here, there's a society thing. When you aggregate it, when you bring it all together, this idea of the desires of the flesh and you lump it all in one, that is part of what it means when we talk about the world that does not have the love of the Father. And in particular, one of the things that really is being emphasized with this phrase when it talks about our sinful nature, is what we would refer to as essential desires, sensual aspirations and cravings. And he says that characterizes the world at whatever level you look at that, whether that's in entertainment, whether that's in the media, whether that's in music, whether that's in sport. You go on and on and on, whether it's in politics, it's the world at every level, and this is part of it. There is this characteristic of, of the desires of the flesh. And then he goes on to say, secondly, it's also characterized by the desires of the eyes. What you see, what you look at, what you aspire to. The way these messages come into our hearts. And, and the characteristic second thing is that our world, you know, it can, it can be described in this particular way. What we see, what, what we look at, what we aspire to, the idea of envy and craving and desire and never being satisfied of everything that's stimulated by Instagram and all the rest of it, you know, that is the thing that again and again, people not having enough, failing to be satisfied, always wanting more, looking at the next person and the next thing and wanting to have it. He says that's the world. And thirdly, he talks about the pride of life. And this is, you know, not just a sense of, of self-importance, uh, but maybe even self-orientation. 
that everything has to reflect upon me. And, and it's this idea of, of the pride of that, of being puffed up with, with self-importance, and the whole idea of, of ego, and maybe even arrogance. And one of the big, you might even say extreme examples of this from the Bible, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. You know, he struts out on his pal- on, on the roof of his palace one day and su- surveys the scene that is before him, sees all the, the skyline, the citadels, the parks, the hanging gardens, you know, sees the hustle and bustle of the marketplaces, and he puffs out his chest and he says, Is this not great Babylon that I have built? You know? And his heart was lifted up in pride. And and God brought him down, he cut him down. You know, that's a, a big example, but it's something that affects all of us. Whoever exalts himself, Jesus said, will be humbled. We have to humble ourselves before we can be lifted up. And these are the things that characterize the world. And we are, we are warned not, not to love that, not to love that way, not to, not to love that outlook. And he says... Don't love that because it stands in contrast to what you should be loving. And that is love for the Father. And we can't be both at the same time. We can't do both at the same time. Some of us try to be spiritual chameleons. You know, whatever bit of leaf we land on, you know, we we change color uh, to, to blend in. And some, some situations and environments, I, I, I'm this color. I come to the church situation and I change color again. And he says, you know, you really can't do that. You either have love for Christ and love for the Father, or you have love for the world. And if, if you have love for the Father, you know, that should expel love for the world. If you have love for the world, then the love of the Father, that cannot be within you. I mean, Jesus said that himself, didn't he? He said, you cannot, absolutely cannot love both God and money. Can't do that. James says the same thing. He says, friendship with the world is enmity, is hostility um, towards God. And Jesus prayed about this, actually. He prayed about this just before he went to the cross. You may want to turn to this, actually. It's found in John's Gospel. And here is a, here is a little clue, actually. It's John chapter 17. Um, that when, when we read First John, as we are doing, you'll find that an awful lot... And even in this passage, though, there are other examples of it today. You will find that there are an awful lot of concepts in this letter that are taken out of what we call the upper room ministry of Christ, which are the verses from John chapter 13 through to 17. And and you'll see that we're, we're going to read, obviously, about this idea of the world here as well. You'll come across it again and again. But let's read this one. John 17, verse 14. He's praying. I have given them, the disciples, your word, 
And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in your word. Your word is truth. This is Christ's prayer for us. He doesn't ask us to, you know, withdraw ourselves from society, you know, and go and live up on the top of a mountain somewhere in a monastery and uh, say, you know, we're not going to be part of this world. He didn't pray that at all. But he prays that you won't have the characteristics, you won't have the love of the world. And, and the Lord Jesus prayed that then, and he still prays that now for his people. That we don't have love for the world. You know, this, this whole concept is at the very heart, actually, of what it means to be a Christian. Uh, to be a Christian, you know, it's not rules, regulations. Fundamentally, it's love for our Lord Jesus Christ. We've sang that on a number of occasions today. We've, we've heard Alex sing that wonderful hymn, Lord Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine. That's at the heart of everything. It's love for the Savior who gave himself for us, who loved us and who gave himself for us. And it is for us to love in return. That is what constitutes what a genuine Christian is. Not love for the world, but love for the Lord Jesus. You remember, that was the question above all questions that Jesus asked of Simon Peter. Simon, Simon, look at me. Look at me. Listen to me. Do you really love me more than these? And the Lord is asking all of us that this morning. A direct important, heart-searching question. Love for Christ. Love for Christ. You know, there are plenty of examples in Scripture of people who walked away from that. Paul, his last letter, written from prison to Timothy, says, you know, please come, Timothy. Come before the winter. Don't forget to bring my cloak. It's, it's cold here. And, and, you know, said, you know, because... Because our friend Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. He loved it. You know, the, the lights began to shine for him. All the hustle and the bustle and the bus and, and the energy and all the things that were in the paper and everything else that he heard about, it just got under his skin and he began to love that. And he, he's, he's deserted the, the, the gospel. He's deserted the call of the, of the gospel. And he's turned his back on it. And he's gone. Because he loved this present world more than he loved Christ. And that comes as a massive challenge to us. And this is the warning, the first warning that he draws to our attention. It is where is our heart? Honestly, where is our love? You know, you've heard me say this one a few times, but it's, uh, it's something that has remained with me for many years. It's, a, it's the, the verse of an old hymn. I thirst, but not as once I did, the vain delights of earth to share. 
Thy wounds, Emmanuel, all forbid that I should find my pleasure there. It was the sight of thy dear cross first weaned my soul from earthly things and taught me to esteem as dross the mirth of fools and pomp of kings. It's to survey the wondrous cross on which the prince of glory died and say all the vain things that charm me most I sacrifice them to his blood I love thee Lord Jesus I know thou art mine where's our heart what do we love love for Christ last Sunday a few of us were in St. Andrews to witness uh, the baptism of Hannah Laurie, uh, along with three others. We walked uh, from the church service through the streets of St. Andrews. We passed on the, on the road the memorial to the martyrs, uh, George Wishart, Patrick Hamilton, martyred for their faith, burned for their faith all these years ago. And just down in the sands below that, on the sea, Hannah and her friends were baptized. I love baptisms. Uh, They just say so much about what it means to be a follower of Christ. The world behind me, the cross before me. Not loving the world, it's love for Christ. And let me state that. Let me nail my colors to the mast as far as that is concerned. So there we go. There There is the first warning that comes to us. And, and he says why this is such an important thing. Because, verse 17, the world is passing away with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. This world is passing. This world won't last forever. All the things that people hold to be so important and you know, get worked up about and, and fight and squabble about. The whole thing is going. And it's Christ himself who will bring that to a close when he returns again to our world. The one who does the will of God abides. That's where salvation lies. No salvation in nailing your, your, your colors to the mast of this, of this world. Let's move on uh, to the second one. If this one was about loving, uh, the second one is about, about leaving. They went out from us, verse 19. Now he's still talking about the future. He's got that in mind just now. And he says this, you know, it's, you've heard that the Antichrist is coming. And, and the Bible talks about that. We, we thought about that recently. If you want to refresh your mind a little bit more about that, you go home and you read Second Thessalonians chapter 2, where it talks about this man who will come at some stage in the future. Um, and, he's, and he will be the personification of worldliness, the personification of rejection of Christ, completely anti-Christian and anti-Christ. But he says, you know, the spirit of Antichrist is currently among us all. This whole attitude, can I warn you about that, he says. And the characteristics of the spirit of being anti 
Christ, not loving Christ, but being anti-Christ. And, and the one that he emphasizes above all is the fact that uh, they walk away. They walk away. They leave. And that's what he says. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. You know, it wasn't just the fact that they thought, you know, they kind of were uncomfortable in their seats and they stretched and they they thought, well, boys, I'm off. And uh, they walked out the door and they gave them a wave. They were going somewhere else, you know, for the day. That's not really what's meant here. You know, when it says they left, it wasn't just the fact that, you know, they left the building. They, They left everything. Everything that Christianity and the church and Christ stood for. They say, you know, we don't believe this. You know, this is not for us. We don't accept this. We're putting this behind us. There are other things that we are going for. We are moving on, and we are not staying here with Christ and his teaching and his people and his book. None of that is where we want to be anymore. We're leaving it all. He says, be careful. Because what these people are showing... That it's not just the fact that this is a little fad in their life. But, but this, is, this is more than a phase. This, this is showing where they really are. Where their heart really is. That they don't want to remain. Or the word that you will notice in the passage is abide in Christ. And that's another of the words, by the way, that come out of John's um, teaching about the the upper room in John 15, the importance of abiding in Christ, of being connected to Christ, of remaining like the branches, abiding in the vine, drawing life from the vine. He says, these people have no connection. The branch has been broken off. They've gone. They've left. And that is the warning that he is is, is leaving with them. And, and look at how starkly uh, this is put. He talks about, in verse number 22, he talks about the person who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Denial of Christ. I don't believe this. I don't believe Him. I don't believe He is the Son of God. And you see, you can't have the Son without the Father and vice versa. If you, if, you, if you want to say you know God, the only way you can know God is through his beloved Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. You have to have the Son if, you have, if you're going to have the Father and be part of the family of God. You see how he uses this concept, children, my, my, my little children. He's talking about the family. You know, frequently we use that phrase here. We talk about here we are, the church family. Well, the only way you're in the family The only way you can say that God is my father and I am in his family is if you have the son. You cannot have the father without having the son. 
So if you want to be a member of the family of God, this is the way in. It is through having and confessing the Son. It would certainly not be in denial of the Son. Now let's come to the the final point. These have been the warnings. We're now coming to the encouragement. And the encouragement, um, you know, it kind of comes out of what we've just been saying. The, the, The thing about these people who had left, you see, was that they were actually quite intimidating. You know, because this is what they this is what they said. They said, you know, fair enough, boys. You know, you've got your beliefs, but you know, we've we've got a deeper understanding. We've got we've got a deeper kind of knowledge. You know, we we're moving on. They they were known as Gnostics. And this idea of Gnosticism carried with it deeper knowledge. So, so John takes that idea head on. Really? He says? They, they, they say that? Well, let me encourage you. Let me encourage you by making this point. And the point uh, that he's making now, for instance, at verse number 20, is this one. But you have been anointed by the Holy One. And you all have knowledge. You'll see the word anointed is, is, is mentioned again in verse 27. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie. See? He says, you have an anointing. Let me encourage you by that. Now, wasn't it interesting, the anointing part of the ceremony yesterday, by the way? The bit that we, we didn't really see in the coronation when the, when the screens came round and, um, and the, 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 the kind of sacred part of the, the service took place, anointed to be king. It's very interesting to know where all of that comes from. Of course, it's, it's kind of biblical in its background. This is again a, a little point of historical interest for those of you who are into that. You might want to go back and read Exodus chapter 30. You know, when the initial anointing was not for kings, but were, was for priests. And Aaron the priest was to be inaugurated into his role with his sacred vestments as well. And there was a specific oil that was blended together. Um, it constituted partly myrrh and cinnamon and cassia. And it gives you all the proportions in Exodus chapter 30. And this could not be used for anything else but for the sacred anointing. Later on, the kings were anointed. You know, David became known as the Lord's anointed. You know, that that carried with it that idea as well. And so that's where it all comes from. But, you know, that's a symbolic thing. And, and, And the New Testament uses this word... And this concept in quite a different way, in a more profound way, I would suggest to you today, as, an, as, as a real encouragement to those of us who are believers in our Lord Jesus, it said to us, to you today, just think about this. You have been anointed. Now you might think about, well, the things have come round, you know, the 
cloaks come off. I'm on my knees. There's the people praying in front of me. I've been anointed. What does that mean? Well, let me get you to turn to Second Corinthians chapter 1, just for a little bit more clarification uh, on this one. Second Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 21. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Aha, it's becoming clearer. This is what he means when he talks about an anointing. He's talking about the spirit of God. And for every Christian, for everyone who loves Christ, who has not left the faith, who stands four square on the gospel of Christ, at the point of their confession, at the very point when they they confess their faith in Jesus Christ, something remarkable happens. A spiritual anointing takes place. Now you might remember that happened in the life of Christ. Acts chapter 10, as Peter is recounting this, he says that he was anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power, which took place at his baptism actually. You remember? As he came out of the water, the voice from heaven, this is my beloved son, and the Spirit of God descended in the form of a dove and rested upon him for the start of his public ministry. Walking out into public service. But that also happens. Remarkably. That happens for every child of God at the point of their confession of faith. Not at their baptism. But at the point of their conversion. God by his spirit descends and invades And enters into our brains and our minds and our souls and our hearts and our lives. And we are anointed by God's Spirit. And part of this is a big, big subject. But the point that's being made, particularly in this passage, is this. That he gives knowledge. Knowledge. Now again, you want to go back to the upper room ministry? This comes out time and time again. Disciples are devastated when Jesus says, I'm leaving you. He said, don't, because someone is coming. The Comforter is coming. The Counselor, the Holy Spirit, who I will send from the Father. And when He comes, listen, He's he's going to lead you into truth. He's going to guide you into knowledge. Things that you currently don't understand, and there was a lot that they didn't understand. You will find that you now grasp And that's not something at a natural level. It's something that the anointing with the Holy Spirit allows you to understand. Let me give you one example of that. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 talks about the preaching of the cross. In Corinth, you know, there are all these, you know, highbrows, intellectuals, academics, you know, and they're waffling on and they're denigrating the Christians and saying that, you know, they're ignorant and all the rest of it. And the preaching of the cross is just barmy to them. They think it's totally weird. They can't get their heads around it whatsoever. 
And Paul writes to them in Corinth and he says, you know, I know there's not many of you are mighty, not many of you are important, not many of you are in the intelligentsia, but listen, because of God's Spirit, you understand that the cross of Christ is powerful. And you understand the wisdom of that. And none of the rulers of this world ever saw that. Because if they had seen it, they would never have crucified the Lord of glory. But they didn't see it. They couldn't see it. Because it's only God's Spirit that gives that insight, gives that understanding, and gives that wisdom. And so, can I encourage you, child of God? You do have an anointing that's above and beyond your natural capacity and capability. Don't feel intimidated by the world. You have an anointing that allows you to see the greatness and the grace and the majesty of Christ and his saving work upon the cross. And his spirit will continue to teach you and give you insight into the glories of the gospel and the glories of Christ. So we better leave it there and wrap it up. So we're going from here this morning, aren't we? With a couple of things in our minds. We're going with two warnings. Yeah? Warnings about, about loving and about leaving. And we're leaving with this world, this word of, of encouragement about being anointed, if we are Christ's, with God's Spirit. And as we close, I'm going to pray just now. We're then going to sing uh, one of my real favorites, which is this rendering of the Apostles' Creed, you know, the foundational beliefs and truths of what it means to be a Christian. I believe in God the Father. You know, not to leave that, not to walk away from that, but to love all that that stands for. And with understanding, being able to appreciate what each line and each phrase actually means in its fullness. Now may God, through his Spirit, touch all our hearts with these things today as we are warned and as we are encouraged. God bless you. Now shall we pray. And Lord, so we come in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. Uh, thank you for the insight that we have through your Spirit into who he is and to his tremendous work upon the cross for our sin, that we believe that he died and that he rose again and that he will come again one day. Lord, thank you for what you revealed to us. May it be revealed to all our hearts and we, may we all be fully trusting and loving our Lord Jesus Christ. We commit each other to you along with the children and young people today as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.